how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 362 of the podcast. Here we sat down with Will Graham, the co-creator of Amazon Prime's new series, A League of Their Own. Uh, somewhat based off the original movie, but also very much a story of its own. Um, did some research about the time period and kind of found their new paths and new ways to tell this story. Uh, in this interview, I talked with Graham about what it was like to be a queer kid and he felt things were wrong with him and he kind of escaped within TV and comic and novels and that eventually led him to screenwriting. Now he's known for movie 43, Alpha House, Mozart in the Jungle, and of course his new series, A League of Their Own, which stars Abby Jacobson, Darcy Carden, Chante Adams, Molly Ephraim, and Nick Offerman. Listen to this interview to find out about researching ensemble pieces, how they created a league of their own, what it means to be joyful with the hard things, and some of Will's best advice for being a writer today, finding your voice and finding your heart on the page. I grew up, um, you know, I was a queer kid um, and, uh, and I didn't see uh, you know, I didn't really have a lot of vocabulary for that. And I didn't know um, exactly what was quote unquote wrong with me. But um, I had this sense that I, I wasn't kind of right for the world exactly as it was around me. So I think that stories, um, movies, TV, comic books, novels, um, they were kind of for me a place that I could escape. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of process some of what was happening to me and then maybe take some things back with me that I could um, kind of use to help myself figure out how to be in the world. And I think that's like the impulse that really brought me to writing and making things is um, the, the idea of taking people somewhere um, that's outside the space of their normal lives and that's special, but also not just giving them a fun adventure, but giving them something to really take back with them. And that's a lot of what I think about when I'm choosing projects and, and deciding what to write. Do you see the writing process then as kind of like therapeutic Did that? Were you making discoveries early on? Is it still something that you're kind of leaning into both, both like personally and professionally? Uh, no, I think for me, um, the writing process, I, I think it is therapeutic, but that's not how I approach it. I always am drawn to write about things that um, maybe I don't know as much about. So with Mozart in the Jungle, for example, part of the draw for me was um, this world of classical music and these traditions that went back centuries and writing about creative people. And those weren't things that I um, came into as a huge uh, fan with Daisy Jones and the Six, which will come out next year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the a similar sort of set of challenges writing about um, this 70s rock band. Mm -hmm. um, and then with League of Their Own, uh, you know, it was this incredible world of um, women playing baseball in the 1940s, but also a sort of deeper story of, of queer people really finding themselves and finding a community. So I think 
in the in the process of writing all those things, I always find myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, look, uh, there's always a moment in the process where I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it. But look, I'm writing about um, this part of my childhood or this part of my relationship or this thing. It's sort of an inevitable mm-hmm. uh, part of the process more than than something I really look for. So if you're kind of giving advice to someone who wants to tackle something, they have no idea, where do you begin? Are you just, are you just reading a ton of books on the subject? Like where do you kind of start the research phase? Um, Well, it helps if you have a lot of great people helping you, but yes, I think um, having a huge appetite uh, and really approaching um, research in a sort of multidimensional and authentic way, you know, who can I talk to? Uh, what can I read? What can I look at? Um, how can I start to put those things together? Um, and then, you know, writing at the same time and finding questions that you um, need answers to, you know? Uh, I think it's always something that I've done from both ends. Um, I always read a lot while I'm writing and absorb a lot while I'm writing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you don't know exactly how things are going to come out in, in the work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are, we're all, what we want to do is make something with a heartbeat mm-hmm. and something real and something that feels authentic to people, whether it's science fiction or historical fiction. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, at least that's how I get there is sort of, I make it personal through also taking in a lot of different knowledge. Do you find any, uh, it seems like you've done a lot of pieces that may be considered like uh, ensemble pieces. You have to have a lot of characters kind of in your mind. Um, How do you start to juggle all those different characters and think about that? Is it mainly something in the writer's room that's already kind of laid out or or where are you at in some of that process? No, I think, I mean, I'm very drawn to um, writing about people who care about something more than they care about themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that sense, I'm really drawn to writing about teams and not just uh, sports teams, but communities or groups mm-hmm. like a band or an orchestra. Um, and that means you're gonna have a lot of characters who are bouncing off each other. Mm-hmm. And that to me is part of the fun. You know, I think I was a huge comic book um, nerd as a kid. And so I sort of approach everything with like a sense of mythology mm-hmm. and a sense of like, I want there to be a real lore to this world and, and depth to this world even if we don't see all of it um and then i think you want to feel like you have a really satisfying experience with each character um even if you're not getting their whole story you know Mm -hmm. or you're seeing them through somebody else's eyes so to me it's always helpful to just break down who are the characters that we're seeing the story through and depending Mm -hmm. on what the show is there might be one of those people or there might be six Mm -hmm. Um, and then who are the characters that we still want their story, but we're going to be mostly seeing them through other people's eyes, at least at first. Mm -hmm. So how did you first get involved with a league of their own? Um, I grew up loving the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that was because as I told you, I was a queer kid who felt pretty lost in the world. Mm -hmm. And I played my dad, I think trying to help me was like, well, there's an athlete in there somewhere. Uh, and I played like seven years of little league baseball. And I think I cried for most of it because I think I sort of felt undercover as a boy. Mm -hmm. Um, and like all of these kids were going to figure out that there was something wrong with me. Um, and there was something about the movie that I think spoke to that in its subtext, you know, mm-hmm. and said, 
it's okay to be on the field, even if you don't feel like you're supposed to be there. Um, and so I came back to it a few years ago and was watching it and, um, and uh, started to wonder about the stories underneath it and in particular the queer stories. So um, I started to do a lot of research. And as soon as I did, I just realized, oh, there's a massive story here that's universal and incredibly specific and people really haven't heard before. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, like this never started from a place of being, of, of saying, let's approach the movie again. Mm -hmm. It really started from a place of saying, well, let's go back to the stories underneath the movie and the movie's always gonna exist and it's always gonna be brilliant and completely yeah. groundbreaking for its time. But there's also a lot of things that they couldn't do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what if we did those things, even if they're a little scary? For those unfamiliar, was was there a book before, or was it mainly just based on a true story? And maybe there's newspaper articles. Like, where did you guys go to find the initial research? Uh, well, so the movie is based on a short documentary by Kelly Candeli, who uh, then Penny Marshall saw it and um, wanted to adapt it into a film. Um, the documentary tells the story of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, which existed from 1943 to 1954 mm -hmm. uh, and was a professional baseball league for women, which was mostly forgotten about. Um, uh, by the time that the movie got made so that even the women who played said, oh yeah, people don't know. Um, I stopped telling people that I played pro ball because they thought I was making it up. <laughs> At the same time, the movie doesn't tell another set of stories that this was an incredible um, opportunity for women and in particular queer women who didn't necessarily have space in the world to live a life that they hardly could have imagined before the war and and to find each other. And then there was also a set of players, um, you know, maybe Johnson is one example, who uh, was a black woman who tried out for the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League and was um, turned away and kind of run off in a similar way to Shantae Adams' character, Max, and uh, Bemi Sole Camello's character, Clance, are in the pilot of our show. Mm -hmm. um, she went on to, uh, didn't stop there. Um, and in fact, later, you know, didn't see it as especially a big part of her story because she went on to play in the Negro Leagues um, with men, which was a professional baseball league that at that point was almost as big as the major leagues. And some people think it had most of the best players of all time. Um, so it's a, it's a huge story that has a huge canvas that's not about one league or one team, but really is about a generation of, uh, of women who wanted to play baseball. Um, and, you know, we're doing that with a lot of love and respect for the movie. Um, and you'll see there are a lot of kind of love letters in the show to the movie, but it's also telling a, a fundamentally pretty different story. Were there any difficulties? So I spoke with the writers of For All Mankind, and there's a scene where a character comes out, but it's set, you know, in the, in the sixties, yours is set even further back. Um, are there difficulties like showing characters that aren't as open to some of these things? You have to kind of have some of those villainous characters. Some of it was the time period. Like, how do you guys talk about some of those aspects in the writer's room in terms of making a, a period piece like this? 
Yeah, sure. I think that that's part of why we wanted to do this. So early on in our process, we talked to a lot of players who had played um, in the league and, and did all the research that I talked about. One of those players was Mabel Blair, um, who played uh, in the AGPBL for one year and in a lot of other um, leagues who, you know, came out at the age of 95 about two months ago at our Tribeca premiere, which is just an incredible moment that at 95 years old, she's finally ready to, to share her truth. And she's seeing this part of her story get told in the show. Mm. Uh, but when we were first talking to her about what it was like, you know, showing up there and finding a lot of other people who were like her, uh, you know, queer women, um, she said, oh, it was a party. Mm. And there was something about that that we took as a mission statement in two ways. One, that we wanted to tell a story that was celebratory um, and that looked at this through the lens of joy. And these women got to do the thing that they loved and got to do to fall in love with the person that they wanted to fall in love with, even though the world didn't want them to. But also that there's a lot of pain probably underneath that statement, you know? So we really wanted to tell the story joyfully, but without looking away from the hard things. Mm -hmm. And um, without making it seem easier than it was. And, you know, in the 40s, even in the 60s, but in the 40s in particular, you know, there is no coming out of the closet. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really just how do you design your closet? And how big is it? And what kind of things do you let in? Um, and there are risks associated with all of those choices, you know, but there's also real heroism in, in not shutting down or shutting the world out or killing yourself, but instead finding a way to live and love and do the thing that you want to do. Um, and I think ultimately, you know, these are flawed characters and funny characters, but in my mind, they're also heroes. Is it difficult to make those like transitions in the story? Cause it seems like, like you said, you are, all of the characters are kind of going towards a bittersweet ending. That was kind of the, the plot of the movies when the men come back, you know, that's it for some of these. And as you said about the true stories, is it hard to navigate that? Or is it just um, like, what are some of the difficulties in navigating towards this possible bittersweet ending? Well, I think it really depends on what you think the end of the story is. Mm -hmm. um, and the ending of this show might not be what people um, expect that it is. Uh, right. You know, this is, like I said, the league lasted until 1954. Um, you know, the characters who inspired uh, Shantae's character, Max, went on to play in the Negro Leagues. And there's a generational story here that is, um, uh, you know, they didn't shut down when the men came back. Some right. people home and went back to their families and had children some people didn't and weren't willing to to go back to the same rules or the way things were before and so i think the story that we're telling is uh the story of this moment where in a world that felt pretty dark and unstable in some ways probably like the world that we're living in now people found this joy and found opportunity and found incredible ways of of exploring who they were. And then they refused to change back a lot of them and they were changed forever. And that didn't mean that it was easy. Yeah. Um, what do you find to be ac across your work? Do you find a, um, 
certain style that's kind of come out that would maybe describe, you know, Alpha House, Mozart and the Jungle League of Their Own? Do you see yourself in this work? Do you see things that you're attracted to in the future going along a similar thread? Yeah, I mean, I'm always um, drawn to stories that um, they might be dark in some moments, they might be hard, but they have real emotion and they have a sense of joy and that it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever the the struggle is. And I really love, uh, for me, there has to be a why, like why it doesn't all have to be capital I important, but like, it has to be something that I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to put something into the world that, that isn't already there, which is very much how I feel about League of Their Own. Mm-hmm. And, and so I use that lens to look at my own projects, but also to look at the projects that my company Field Trip is doing and the things that I'm producing, you know, we have such an extraordinary privilege by being in a place um, where where I can make things. Uh, and um, I want to use that platform to, to make sure that um, stories get told that need to be told and haven't been told, but that they are really told for an audience. Um, are there anything about your your writing process or style that's changed over the years or any you know false beliefs you had in the beginning that you now know are no longer true about writing in particular? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the most important thing to me is just having a regular practice mm-hmm. and um, having structures and routines because as you probably know, uh, some days it's a good day and some days it's not a good day. I think also... Um, I, you know, I made a rule for myself, uh, uh, at some point when I was, um, uh, starting to do this professionally, that was just like, no going back once you start a draft, um, just get to the end, even if it's messy and horrible and you have to write notes to yourself, like this is wrong and go back to page four and, and do this because, you know, the end of that first draft is really just the beginning in a lot of ways. Um, but I I think I also find myself just being less precious mm. and exploring more and trying things and um, feeling looser in it. Uh, you know, once you sort of have a sense of the craft and how it works, um, you start to feel more, um, more free to sort of swing at some weird pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a lot of fun. Do you have any other advice of, about uh, maybe finding your voice as a writer? That seems to be one of the most difficult things. I imagine a lot of it is just time and putting in the work and getting through those drafts. Any other things you did that started to stand out at some point? I mean, I think the best way to find your voice, which is really just a way of saying what you care about as a writer and how you want to express that is to care about the world um and and find yourself in that and what your priorities uh are um you know for me like writing isn't separate from living uh and and the things that i think about uh in in my life and um i think it's a it's an act that can have huge implications uh i think storytelling has huge implications for our world and and for audiences and for culture so i just think um you know 
letting yourself learning to really feel what's important to you even if it doesn't seem like the thing that should be important to you or you wish was important um i think is is the most important thing just learning to kind of hear that voice that's like yeah this is something i have to do or no i wish i wanted to do this but it's for somebody else Perfect. I think we're almost out of time. Thank you so much for your thoughtful answers. Do you want to say anything else about um, Daisy Jones and the Six? Uh, just that I'm so excited for this is another one like a league of their own that we've been working on for a long time. Um, the story is so magnetic and so creative and so fun and wild. Um, and at the same time, so emotional. And the music in the show, I think, is unlike anything that people have heard in a TV show before. So I'm really excited to get to see it. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting there. If you're looking for some more information, though, some more about the craft of writing for television, uh, we have a new chorus called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, this includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for $1 at scriptmastermind.com television. That is the television screenwriting masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com slash television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.